Welcome to TYT's The Conversation. It is your host, Adrian Lawrence. And today I am joined by the Executive Director of National Black Justice Coalition. That's a civil rights organization dedicated to the empowerment of the black LGBTQIA community. David Johns, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Adrian. Yes, David, these are very unfortunate circumstances in terms of the conversation we're gonna have today, but it is something that's very much a reality and going down, particularly in Florida. Right now with that Parental Rights and Education Act, which credits largely have dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill. We've been seeing topics of discussion essentially being around what children should be able to talk about in the educational environment, but also people aren't necessarily fully clear on what this bill is about. So can you educate them? Yes, I can, uh, and I again appreciate you for making space for this important conversation. Um, I first want people to know that I come to this conversation as an elementary school educator. I taught kindergarten at third grade, uh, and I think often about the challenges that children who don't perform gender identity in the way in which adults expect them to, or who show up in ways that are queer, are LGBTQIA+, they face additional challenges right now that have been exacerbated by the introduction of bills like the Don't Say Gay Act in Florida, or the more than 200 bills that have been introduced in the last two years, right? Uh, And so at this point, we know that what happens in Florida is important because as goes Florida, so goes the rest of the country. And there are attempts right now to limit the ability for educators to allow students to have conversations affirming their same gender loving families or parents. Uh, It encourages surveillance. Uh, by way of having uh, adults report on others. Um, and while we're talking about Florida, we should also mention that there are similar bills in Texas that incentivize the reporting of parents who provide affirming care for their children. Uh, and so there is a lot of danger uh, and even the discussion of these bills. Uh, there are harms that we've already seen uh, in children talking about the response to them. Uh, and our children, uh, all of whom have not asked to be born, really deserve much better. Yeah, without a doubt, these children definitely do deserve better. Uh, you know, and I know a lot of people out there who do support this "Don't Say Gay" bill. They're claiming that this is going to give parents greater control over their children's ed- education, really reinforcing these notions of parental authority. And you know, we saw this kind of similar approach by Florida when it came to purported critical race theory and uh, teaching this, um, teaching anything about race really in schools. So I'm just wondering, as an educator yourself, why do you think that these parents, or at least that these these members of legislature, are suddenly so interested in children's education? Yeah, the direct answer to the question is that this is political theater at its lowest, and uh, politicians who are supporting white supremacy uh, are really fearful of the growing diversity that exists in schools throughout this country, as well as in communities throughout this country. Um, These are attempts to suppress critical thinking. They're attempts to deny us opportunities to talk about uh, fact-based truths. Um, And they will continue to have uh, damaging impact in terms of tearing apart communities and ultimately affecting our country. Uh, One of the things that incenses me most when thinking about the Stop Woke Act, which you referenced, which uh, has uh, its sights on critical race theory, Um, is that people have uh, misperceptions of what most people access uh, by going to law school. Are people uh, pursuing PhDs as MI use as a theoretical construct to make sense of how we all show up in this social world? 
Uh, and that there are people right now who are logical thinking and have the ability uh, to look things up in books and using the internet uh, who are calling truths and histories critical race theory um, is already indicative of the problems that we're facing. Absolutely, and you know, seeing this "Don't Say Gay" bill advance and move forward, it's scary because it just really says what they're willing to do for this political theater. And as we just saw it, essentially be done when it came to race and really just talking about history that doesn't favor white supremacy. So back to the bill here. So when it comes to the "Don't Say Gay" bill, you know, it was pretty remarkable and somewhat shocking that President Joe Biden even said something about it, essentially using his megaphone from the White House to speak out against the bill and its sponsors. But as you noted, there are so many bills out there like this. I believe there are nearly 200 anti-LGBTQ bills essentially across the nation right now that are targeting children in some way. So what more should the White House do? Yeah, more than 60 million children in 42 states throughout this country are affected by the bills that we're discussing. Those that encourage censorship by way of access to books, our conversation, or that target LGBTQIA plus or otherwise stigmatized and minoritized students. And I want everyone to understand that even the discussion of this legislation is having an effect upon our children. We've seen increased in suicide rates and other indicators of mental health distress and trauma. We should be mindful of that at present. Directly to your question about what can be done at the federal level, there can be more investments in the provision of mental health support to ensure that our babies have access to resources to ensure that they are well. Organizations like the National Education Association, the American Federation for Teachers, um, uh, school leaders can partner with organizations like NBJC and GLSEN as well to find ways to continue to have thoughtful conversations that celebrate the diversity that has always existed uh, and allow all of our students to feel safe and supported as members of our school communities. Uh, I also want to name that it is critically important to celebrate that uh, parents are a child's first and most important educator. Uh, and at no point should they ever abdicate the opportunity and really responsibility. They have to talk to their children about the important truths that have allowed us to come to the point where we are at present. And so there's something that each of us can do at this moment, uh, including assuring that political bullies don't have opportunities to target our children in the future. Absolutely, these political bullies using their power to essentially limit people's lives in a way that seems to encroach on civil rights. As you mentioned there in Texas, where you have individuals working pretty much overtime to silence individuals and also targeting trans children. How is this impacting the black community specifically now given that you are the executive director of the National Black Justice Coalition? Yeah, I appreciate the question and always think it important today that we're not a monolith. And when we think about the ways in which white supremacy and anti-blackness impact black people generally, we know that there's a disproportionate impact for those of us that have multiple stigmatized, minoritized identities. And so children who identify as members of the LGBTQIA plus community, as well as children who are most often assumed to be members of the LGBTQIA plus communities face high rates of mental distress and are more likely to be pushed out of schools and the spaces that they're required to move through in order to be successful in our country and a life more generally. Yes, and I'd imagine that that is something that can be very devastating. I believe you had mentioned suicide rates spiking. 
Yeah, um, we worked with the National Black Justice Coalition, worked with the Congressional Black Caucus before the pandemic to uh, ring the alarm and to highlight that the suicide rates amongst black children and youth uh, have doubled uh, in the last two decades, which is a problem again, given that children don't ask to be born uh, or consent to the problems that adults have created. Uh, and those suicide rates have decreased for every other community of children. Uh, and so what we know also based on data collected by the Trevor Project and our partners at Glisten uh, is that children again who are or who are assumed to be LGBTQIA plus find both schools and communities to be hostile and unsafe spaces. Uh, and so the, the combination of those two things, uh, again in a political environment where you also have the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, a black man standing in a black church calling LGBTQIA plus children trash, uh, is that they often find the spaces they're forced to move through by law to be toxic. Uh, and what we know is that when children are in toxic environments, it's really difficult for them to be well. Absolutely, and it is kind of almost all seems to be in one fail swoop uh, in terms of the way our nation treats its children, as we saw with you know gun violence in schools, in terms of mass shootings and things not being done to curb that. It just seems that they want to do all they can to keep children from learning, and we need to give children environments in which they can blossom and bloom, especially since they're our future generations and they will be our leaders someday. And in terms of the work that you do, what would you say is the next steps? Uh, there are at least three next steps. One is to love on the babies that exist in the world who didn't ask to be born. Asa Hilliard talks about uh, never having met a child who wasn't a genius. Uh, and they're not being a secret to how we support them. We first acknowledge them as human uh, and we second support them with love. Uh, the second thing related to that for me is ensuring that love looks like uh, connecting them to mental health supports uh, and fighting against uh, policies uh, that don't allow them to show up and show out in all of their fullness. Um, the third thing that I would encourage people to do is connect uh, with NBJC to find ways to get into the arena with us as we continue to fight uh, this regressive legislation in states like Texas, Florida, and North Carolina. And as we also advance progressive uh, pieces of legislation to ensure that all of our babies have the opportunity to thrive. Yes, ensuring that all children have opportunities to thrive is so incredibly important, as well as um, walking away from this cis heteronormative nonsense that has us being faux puritanical um, idiots. But I guess that's a diatribe I'll go off on, in an, on another day. It's a problem. It's, oh, do it's it today. A, do it today. That's yeah. yeah. Well, I wish we could. We don't have the time, though. Uh, but I know I do got a few things to say about that. Uh, but I really appreciate you joining us. And can you please tell our viewers where they can find out more information about you yourself, Mr. Johns, and also your organization? Yes, Adrian, thankful uh, to you for providing this space and for your work more generally. The National Black Justice Coalition exists at nbjc.org, and we're NBJC on the move across digital platforms. Fantastic, thank you so much for joining us. That's David Johns, Executive Director of National Black Justice Coalition. We very, very much appreciate you being here to speak on this issue, elevating it, and also for all the good work that you do in making this world a better place. My duty and my honor, thank you again. It is Adrian Lawrence, and this time I am joined by Democratic strategist and the founder of Third Degree Strategies, that's a progressive communication firm, Max Burns. Thanks for having me. 
Yes, and welcome back. I know you're somewhat of a regular here in part because you have so much incredible insight. And now we're gonna talk about something that we definitely need your insight with, which is about essentially the GOP's efforts to control abortion rights and predominantly women's bodies. What's going on? So the Republican Party on the state level is engaged in a really successful war on choice. And by that, I don't just mean a woman's right to choose abortion anymore. Now it's a woman's right to move freely between states. It's a family's right to decide what medical treatment is right for their kid. And these are laws that are all based on this Texas abortion bill that is before the Supreme Court now and likely may result in the end of Roe versus Wade as we know it. That's really scary. Um, you know, Roe versus Wade has been an institution uh, in a lot of lives uh, across America for decades. And so the thought that it could be upended is very, very scary. And I know there are several uh, challenges going on right now to Roe v. Wade that are directly in play. But I also know that Missouri Republicans just engaged in some antics. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, what's happening in Missouri is really unprecedented. Uh, this is a law that's based on Texas. That essentially deputizes your neighbors to tell the state if a woman is going across state lines to get an abortion. And if they are caught, that woman could end up in court. This essentially allows people to bounty hunt women who are trying to exercise their rights. And more than that, it essentially makes abortion illegal nationwide for anyone who lives in Missouri, which is far from the small government conservative language we've heard from Republicans before. But I'm sure this is, as you mentioned, it's something that parrots Texas's law. So I'm guessing it's operating more on the individual bounty hunter angle. And thus you can say it's not a state government actor who's limiting your rights, is that right? Yeah, that's exactly how they're getting around this. Very similar thing in Idaho, a bill just passed their state house. They would make it a crime for a parent to take their child across state lines to receive gender affirming therapy. And these are all very new attacks on the freedom of privacy and the freedom of movement that don't just attack Roe versus Wade, but Griswold versus Connecticut, the law that grants us a right to privacy in general and on which gay rights, abortion rights, trans rights all depend. If Republicans can take that out, we're in a really dangerous place. And I'd like to think there are a lot of Republicans out there who they don't care about gay rights. They really don't care about women's rights. They prefer, you know, whatever rights they have be, you know, whatever benefits white, cis, male, hetero dudes, and it's cool. But I guess if you could give a potential, you know, maybe potential thoughts or analogy on how this could end up affecting that dominant class of white cis male heterosexuals. I guess, what would you say to them in terms of having Griswold be turned over or reversed in some way? How could this affect their broader privacy rights? Well, this really hits home for them. All of the drugs that wealthy white people have been doing for years in the privacy of their homes, that expectation of privacy goes away. If you look at the third of Republicans, a full 33% of Republicans who support legal abortion in at least some cases. This goes farther than they even wanted. The half of Republicans who believe that it should be a parent's choice to to get the gender care for their kid that they think is best. All these voters are gonna find that their Republican party has gone so authoritarian. It is controlling where you can drive, what you can talk about. It puts you in court for doing something the state says is wrong. 
uh, like driving to get an abortion. Uh, that's too much for most voters and Republicans may find that they've really overstepped here. Yeah, it sounds like we're entering this kind of dystopian universe in some form or fashion. Uh, it's just the question of what whether the Supreme Court will allow it and condone it. Is that where we are? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this depends in large part on what the Supreme Court does uh, with this Texas decision now. Uh, we're looking at a decision right in the heat of midterm campaign season that says that women don't have a fundamental right that they've had for many of women's lifetimes now. Uh, that's going to drive a huge political realignment. And if these laws start getting upheld, that the state can ask you where you're driving to and stop you if you're going to a place that they don't like, that is a legal place for you to go. That raises real questions about federalism. I mean, that becomes states acting like federal governments in themselves and telling their own residents that they can't freely travel. That hits at the core of what this country is about. Yeah, definitely would seem to impact interstate commerce. And maybe that's something that the court can get behind, you know, essentially having some effect on capitalism, given that cash seems to be king here in the United States. But also, it almost seems that white male supremacy is even more valuable. And so, for those out there who are looking to make change, who do not want to see these things go forward, but also don't want to just sit idly by and hope others do something about it, what would you recommend? So right now, the time for state action is now. This is happening in state legislatures across the country, not just the ruby red states. These are states that are sometimes considered more moderate, that have Republican legislatures like Pennsylvania pushing really repressive legislation. And the answer now is to vote, to organize and vote. Because unfortunately, there's a very limited list of things Congress or the White House can do. The power is with people here to protect their own rights. Yes, that is definitely the power is with the people. And especially with these midterm elections coming up, it seems that there is some potential possibility there to make a meaningful shift. Is that right? There is. And there are several things that Joe Biden could do to really shake this up. One idea that was floated recently was for the president to lease out federal buildings to abortion providers in states where abortion is not available. Essentially, getting around restrictive state laws by using federal property to enforce abortion rights. It would be equivalent to sending the National Guard in to integrate schools. We're acting where states will not. But I question if the president has the political courage to do something like that and to really stand up for abortion rights and privacy rights in such a clear way. Yeah, I definitely think that that would take some gumption. And I don't necessarily know if Biden has it, but also too, Biden does seem to have that, well, I guess you'd say that opportunity to, to some extent, hide right now behind this battle going on with Russia and Ukraine and to make sure that is leading headlines and ignore a bit of what is going on in terms of you know, these privacy rights being tailored back. Would you say that that's about accurate? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think this is a, there's a reason Joe Biden didn't say the word abortion once in the State of the Union. I think Democrats have bought this Republican messaging that even talking about abortion is political suicide, when in fact a majority of the country supports the Democratic position on abortion. And the best thing that can happen to Republicans is that things like Missouri happen and we're afraid to talk about them. And then they happen in other states and pretty soon we're facing a whole country where Democrats are on the defense to protect a fundamental right. And that is a, that's a place we can avoid, but we have to act and we have to be courageous. 
Absolutely. And so at the state level, when it comes to things like um, being able to provide your child with uh, gender affirming care or being able to access abortion, couldn't states make it a part of their constitution? Yeah, and some states have. New York uh, put Roe versus Wade into their state constitutions as well. Uh, that's a huge uh, effort that is certainly going to be pushed back on in red states. Uh, but when I, like I say, with a third of Republicans who support some abortion rights, uh, Republicans would be shocked to find that a lot of red states would put abortion into their constitutions if there was an opportunity to let people speak freely. In that case, it's red state legislatures and their Republican donors who have largely stopped that progress. And the only way around that is to vote. Yes, it definitely would seem to be um, hopefully the voting aspect of it, but also seeing essentially GOP find ways to curb voting rights and access to it, it almost seems that it would be somewhat futile to even try to push back at this point. Uh, well, at least I'd like to think so, but I know it'd be worthwhile. Do you see any changes in terms of voter right access? Unfortunately, not in the near term. I think Joe Manchin and the filibuster have made pretty clear as with their vote to protect abortion and put abortion rights into law, that with the filibuster in place, we're gonna find that that filibuster outlives a lot of our fundamental rights. And I'm not sure Americans are going to like the country we have if we continue down that course. Yes, and it seems like a lot of us are going to suffer. In the meantime, especially given all the young faces that are on the US Supreme Court with very limited mindsets that they're gonna be around for quite some time. But again, in terms of things that people can do on the ground today, they can look forward to doing it next month. They should be focusing on doing it just sometime in the future to make that meaningful change. What would you tell them? I would say that this is the fight. There is no stepping back from this. The fundamental right to privacy and voting rights together are the bedrock of the modern society we live in. It's hard to imagine a country without voting rights, without a fundamental right to privacy, without gay rights. But that is a real possibility. And the last thing we can we need is to be demoralized. I say push Republicans, push Democrats equally so to talk about these issues and to make clear that people are angry because we're simply not hearing that level of anger from elected representatives and that is infuriating. No, no, and I definitely think a lot of people have that COVID exhaustion as well as just trying to make it through every day, especially with prices rising and housing crisis and everything going on that they are not necessarily giving this the attention it deserves because they feel like it doesn't directly impact them. And so I really appreciate you coming on to share your insight. And you know, it's just, it's a very scary time, but as you said, this is the fight. And so in terms of people who wanna follow you, get more information, where can they find you? You can follow me on Twitter at the Max Burns. Send your hate mail there. And also you can read me at NBC News and on the Daily Beast. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Max Burns, Democratic strategist and the founder of Third Degree Strategies. Thanks for joining us, Max. Thank you.